Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're in Genesis 38 this evening. Have you ever been telling a story to someone, and you're telling it, you're in the details, and you're telling the, the whole story, and then you remember another piece of information you need to throw in there? And you're like, wait, I got I to gotta tell you this other story first, and I'll get back to that. Any of you, you ever done that, or you had someone do that to you? Is, is there anyone in here that that's like your MO? You do that a lot. Like, your stories go forever because you're always remembering different stories to throw in there, maybe some that are out there. Really, where we're going to be tonight, we're walking verse by verse through Genesis, and I believe, based on how, I, how it's, I've studied and outlined it, I believe that uh, we'll, be, we'll be through with our, our study in Genesis in the next two months or so, and in February, in the first part of March, I believe we'll finish it up. And we've seen a lot of different things, but really the chapter we're in, it's kind of that. It's like, let me tell you the story of this guy named Joseph. And that's where we were. You recall, I think it was two or three weeks ago, we kicked off this series, Living the Dream, talking about Joseph. And really, it's chapter um, 37, where in chapter 37, it tells the story of Joseph being, his parents his making him that, dad making him that, that, parents making him that coat of many colors, his brother selling him into slavery, and uh, you might remember I talked about that, I preached a message on a Sunday morning, living the dream, and even when the dream looks like a nightmare, and we looked at some of that on a Sunday morning. So chapter 37, it's, it's introducing this character, Joseph, and then we get to chapter 39, we're going to pick the story back up because Joseph was sold into slavery into Egypt. He's now going to be a slave in Egypt, and it's going to pick that story up in chapter 39, but chapter 38 is kind of like, wait a second, I got to tell you about this other guy, Joseph's brother named Judah. Joseph's not mentioned anywhere in chapter 38, so even though we're in our study of Joseph, it's a part of, from chapter 38 to 50 is all about Joseph, but there's this little interlude. This little commercial, uh, if you will, that tells the story of Judah. You might remember, some might not, my, three weeks is a long time, but I think it was three weeks ago tonight, I preached a message where they did kind of the same thing in chapter 36, where they stopped, pulled away from Jacob, and, 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 and then did a whole chapter on Esau. And I brought a message on the life of Esau. We contrasted Jacob and Esau's lives, and I brought a message, where will your choices lead you? We talked about the choice of wrong friendships, the choice of wrong dating and marriage relationships. We talked, and we talked a little bit about practical tips for dating and biblical thoughts for dating. We talked on that Sunday evening about a wrong environments, living in wrong places, wrong priorities. So, so just get where we're at, and just for context, chapter 36. It talks about Esau, then it jumps in and says, the rest of the book, we're going to study Joseph, but oh, wait a second, before we get to Joseph in slavery in Egypt, and it's an amazing story, one of my favorite in all of Scripture, we're going to stop and take a little, uh, a little break in chapter 30, uh, in chapter number um, 38 to study Joseph's brother, Judah. And uh, uh, the, the two, three weeks ago, my message was, where will your choices lead you? Tonight, the title of the message is, where will your sin lead you? Where will your sin lead you? 
Genesis 38, and you, we're not going to take, for the sake of time, we're not going to take and read the entire chapter tonight, but you can go back and read it. But this is one of those chapters where God doesn't sh- sugarcoat the realities of the human experience. This is one of those chapters that if you're walking through this in family devotions, you might have some awkward conversations or, well, we'll talk about that a little later. There's just some things in here that you're like, wow, that's interesting. They put that in the Bible. And uh, and then imagine that I say I'm going to walk through the Bible verse by verse, and we come to chapters like this, and so now I have to figure out how to preach it to us, right? But this is one of those, this is not a chapter, if you're sitting around the Christmas tree with your family, wanting warm and fuzzy feelings about the goodness of God, we just sang, Jesus, thank you, and, and uh, oh, how he loves us. This is not that chapter. This is a chapter that tells us man can be really bad. Man can do some really wicked stuff, and we're going to look and learn some things. I'm going to break the chapter down for you. I'm going to give you a little bit of the breakdown. But after we were there three weeks ago, Joseph's brothers, they see him coming, they beat him up, they throw him in a pit, they were going to leave him for dead. Well, first they were going to kill him, then they're going to leave him for dead. Then they decide we can make some money, so they're going to sell him for a couple pieces of silver each. They sell him into slavery, and Judah was one of those brothers. And then the Bible picks up the story in Genesis 38, verse number 1. Genesis 38, verse number 1, the Bible says... And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned in to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hera. So we have Judah at that time, after Joseph sold into slavery, I don't know if it's because he was feeling guilty, I don't know if he was tired of, of life, you know, shepherding life out in the field. He decides, I'm moving out of the house, I'm moving away from my family, I'm leaving home, I'm going to my unsafe friend, I'm going to go live with, I'm going to turn into this, to this guy's house, and I'm going to live here in a place where, as a follower of God, I shouldn't be living with people that I shouldn't be living with, and I'm going to turn in here. And I want you to see where his sin leads him, and we're going to look at some things that I think will be somewhat challenging to us, and then at the end I think will be somewhat encouraging to us about this. While living with his friend, Judah finds an unbelieving woman named Shua and marries her. You see verse number two? And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and he went in unto her. So here he is, he moves in to an unbelieving friend's house, away from his family, away from his his brothers, away from all of that. And then while he's there, as he's getting used to this area that's a godless place, by the way, we've already shown multiple times where his dad, his grandpa, his great-grandpa all said, do not marry daughters of the Canaanites. As a follower of God that is fulfilling our plan, this is not who you're supposed to marry. It's all, all the way through there, right? And, and we've already seen that. So he ends up dating, talking to, whatever you want to call, if we were to use it in our time, and then ends up marrying a, a young lady that knows nothing of God. They have three children, verses 3, 4, and 5. You see they have three children, Ur, E-R, and Onan, and then Shelah. And you have those three boys, they're all sons that are born, okay? And uh, let me just see. I need three guys. Here we go. Trey, TJ, Kobe. Come on up, guys. You three will help me right here. So he's got three, he's got three sons. And just, we're not going to read through it all. I'm just going to walk you through it. So we've got Ur. And then, Trey, you're going to be the youngest there. We'll put TJ in the middle. We've got Ur, we've got Onan, and we've got Shayla right here. So, 
Obviously, this has covered some time. You have to remember that when you read the Bible, sometimes we read it, and it's like 10 words later, but obviously it's a year later, or two years later, or three years later. Sometimes we can read, we can read one verse, and that covered a whole span of time, so you really have to sit in there and think about it. So he's been living here for quite some time. He's been with this, this wife for quite some time, long enough to have three boys, Ur, and Onan, and Shayla, and then... What we see is, as Ur grows up, Ur uh, marries a woman named Tamar. You see it in verse uh, number six. It says, and Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. So what was his wife's name? Tamar. This is not the Tamar that was David's daughter that was, that was um, um, completely abused by her half-brother. That, this is not that Tamar. Um, but you're going to see here, Tamar is not, as we're going to get into the story, not the greatest name. If you're having a girl, you may not want to name her Tamar. Not, not a good track record in the Bible being a girl named Tamar. So, Ur marries a Canaanite young lady. Again, parents, our decisions affect our kids. So now, now Ur takes a wife of the daughters of the Canaanites, an unbelieving wife, Tamar. And what the Bible tells us about this guy, even though his great-grandpa was Abraham, the Abraham, his grandpa was, uh, is, is, I guess it'd be great-great, whatever it is, his, you keep going, whatever that is, my, my generations, and then his great-or-great-grandpa was Isaac, and grandpa was Jacob, uncle Joseph, dad Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's who this guy is. That's the lineage he comes from. But he chooses to marry a young lady he shouldn't, and he grew up in a home because Judah chose to marry a, a lady that knew nothing of God. He grew up in a home, from what we can tell, without any knowledge of God, without any fear of God, not living for God. And the Bible makes it really clear that this guy did evil. He did wickedly. He didn't live right. It tells us in verse number seven, and Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. I'm sorry to let you know, that's you. And what is, what is the, final, uh, the final word about his life? Do you see it at the end of verse number seven in Genesis 38? And the Lord what? Slew him. You're done. See ya. All right. So he dies. He leaves behind Tamar. Tamar is his widow. She's a young widow. There are no children. And she's, she's a young lady. In that culture, you have to understand that to be a, a widow, or that's why the Bible talks about that the church ought to take care of the widows, the fatherless. In that culture, there was really no way for you to make a life for yourself. You were going to have a really, very little way. You're going to have a really hard time in certain situations. So Tamar is here. And what Judah says, he says to Onan, he says, why don't you go in and marry or go in and, 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 and have a relationship with your brother's wife, make that your wife, that way she can have a child and, and, and Ur's name will live on. And they had different cultures and customs, the way that they would do that as you study the Bible, to keep a person's lineage, and, and that would have been considered still through there. And so Onan says, I, I shouldn't be doing that. His dad tells him to do it. You can read it. He goes in and doesn't do what his dad says. There's, there's no child that comes. He displeases the Lord, the Bible says. And uh, let's see it said in verse number 10, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Wherefore, end of verse 10, he did what? Slew him also. You're gone. You're out of here. This is Judah's life. Well, this is Judah got married. So now it's Judah and his wife, Shua. They had three boys. They had a daughter-in-law. Now they have one younger son that's not yet of marrying age. And they have still a daughter-in-law. 
Now, remember, we just read 10 verses. We have to be talking in the range of decades. We're talking about 20-ish years here, right? Because you've got a firstborn son getting married, then the next son, and then he has Shayla, and he tells her, he says, he's not old enough to get married yet. Me and my wife, we're moving, but I promise I'll send him back when he's old enough to come marry you. That way you can have a child, your shame, your reproach will be taken away. You'll still have a purpose for living in this, gen- in this society, in the way that we view things. I'll send Shayla over to you. I'll let you be seated there, Shayla, and, and we'll keep talking about him. So get the picture. Now there's Tamar in this land. Judah and his wife have moved. They, they've moved with their youngest boy. And what happens is the youngest boy gets of age, and he, 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 he lies. He doesn't fulfill his promise. He never sends Shayla back to take Tamar like he promised her. So she is in, they, they had to wear certain clothing that showed they were widows. They were marked in certain ways in society. She's, she is in different clothing. She's sitting there basically in, in, in um, ex, ex, existential limbo, really. Just like, I can't go on with my life until he sends Shayla. Then at that point, I'll have purpose in life again. And she's sitting there waiting, and she knows how old he is, and she knows he's old enough, and it never comes. And so what happens? I believe as you study it and you read it, I believe there's some hurt. I believe there's some pain. I believe there's maybe some anger, some bitterness on Tamar's part. And, and as you continue to read in Genesis 38, Judah's wife dies. So the Bible says his wife dies to comfort himself. He goes up to Timnath to go and take care of getting all the sheep sheared. And he's going kind of this spot. I don't know if it was just a diversion or I don't know all the reasons, but he's going in his time of mourning. And somebody says to Tamar, hey, I heard your father-in-law is going up to this city. Maybe this is your chance to go talk to him, go confront him, go find out if he's ever going to give you his other son to be your husband. Because if not, you're kind of just stuck the rest of your life as kind of damaged goods. Hey, I heard he's going up to that city. Maybe you could go talk to him. And the Bible says she hatched a plan. And, and, and uh, this is why I believe there was bitterness and anger. And she's trying to trap him. She's trying to basically force him, kind of get even with him and or force him to take care of her. So the Bible says she took off her widow's garments and she put on garments that would cover her face where you couldn't tell who she was. And whatever the garments were and whatever her behavior was and whatever her location was, it gave him the idea that she would be a woman of the night that he could, he could have um, immoral relations with. And so the Bible says as he's walking along, he goes in and doesn't know it, but he has immoral relations with his own daughter-in-law. And at the end of it, he asked her before, what's your payment? She, and she said, what are you going to pay me? He said, I'll send you a goat from my flock but I don't have one with me right now. And she said, okay, that's fine, but I need some kind of guarantee money to make sure you're going to give me my goat. And, she's, and he said, well, what do you want? And she said, well, why don't you give me your bracelets and why don't you give me your signet? That might've been his ring that he would stamp letters to, that it was, it was clear, it was verified, that came from Judah. Why don't you give me your signet? Why don't you give me your bracelet? Why don't you give me your staff? Basically, why don't you give me the personal items that identify you as Judah, Joseph's son? And then you can send me the goat, and when I get it back, I'll give you your collateral back. Well, here's the only problem. He sends his friend, the same friend he had moved in with, that unbelieving friend where it all started, he sends his friend back with a goat. Judah, I guess on some level at least, is, you know, honor among thieves. He's, he's, a, he's a somewhat wicked man, but he's also, there's some honor. He's going to send, maybe he just wanted his stuff back. I don't know, but he sends back a goat. 
and, and, and his friend is there with the goat. He's got this goat and saying, hey, where's that lady that works this, this section of the street? And they're like, what are you talking about? No, you know, the lady, we were here a little bit ago. My, my, my friend, my boss, he sent me back. He owes her some money. Where, where's that lady? And they said, there's no lady like that in this area. There's no one that's known to dabble in that, that kind of business. There's nobody that lives that way. We don't have anybody like that. And he's walking around with his goat like, I got to find this lady. I got to give this goat to her. And he gets back to Judah and Judah sees him coming. He's like, why do you got the goat? I can't find that lady. Well, I need my stuff. I can't find the lady. And, and you go on. And a few months later, so now you've got Judah and his son, Shelah. His wife is dead. His two boys are dead. A few months later, somebody comes to him. Um, look, look in. Let me just see. This is so I've, I've not been reading where I was supposed to read. You can read in verse 11. It talks about where he promises to give Shayla once he's grown. And then uh, Tamar's waiting in her dad's house for that to happen. She's just kind of again in limbo. Her life is on hold until he comes. Um, verses 12 through 14, they go and that whole story. Um, and then it says, um, it says in verse, let me find it. There in, in verse number uh, 24, verse 24, Genesis 38, verse 24, and it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law hath played the harlot. She's been immoral. And also behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, would you, would you look at that? What did he say? Bring her forth and let her what? Let's burn her at the stake. That one that married my son, that's supposed to be marrying my youngest son, even though he hadn't sent her, he hadn't sent his youngest son, he hadn't kept his end of the bargain, she did what? What a shame to my family's name. My daughter-in-law, she, she played the harlot, she was immoral and, and had relations she should not have had, and now she's expecting a child? Who's going to raise that child? That's not my son's child. That's not a part of our family. Bring her. We're not going to have this in my family history. Bring her and let her be burnt. Capital punishment. Let's burn her at the stake for her sins. And then there's this gotcha moment, verse number 25. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, discern, I pray thee, whose are these? the signet and bracelets and staff. She comes, what, what he thinks is to have her put to death to get this shame out of his family history. And, and she comes and it says she sent to him, I don't know if it was her in person or if she sent somebody and said, oh, just, okay, yeah, that's fine. You guys are gonna burn me out. You're gonna put me to, to, to death. Okay, just ask him, whose bracelet is this? And, and this ring, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this ring before. Does that look familiar to you guys? Uh, I don't know whose that is. And the staff, I don't know if you've ever seen it, anybody, but whoever's that is, that's who's the dad of my child. And it comes, and the Bible says that Judah acknowledges his sin. It says in verse number uh, 36, and Judah acknowledged them and said, she hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Shelah my son, and he knew her again no more. He didn't have any further inappropriate relationship with her. And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in the womb. In verse 29, the first one was called Pharez, and afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zara. Uh, it, that's an interesting study all its own to study those two boys and kind of what happens in their life. 
but we're looking at Judah here and, and the challenge. I want to give you a few thoughts. Reminders from Judah's life. He acknowledges his sin. He lets her go. She gives birth to twins. But I believe this is a cautionary tale that can teach all of us much. I want to give you a few thoughts. Number one, reminders tonight. Number one, our sins are progressive. Our sins are progressive. You know, it's rare in whatever major sin or struggle or addiction or, or downfall someone has in their life, it's rare that that happens the first time they do something along those lines. You know, it normally starts small. And we get comfortable with this little sin, and then it gets comfortable with a little more sin, and then we get comfortable with this, and then that's not enough, and then that's not enough, and then that's not enough. And before we know it, we look back and say, how, how did I get so deep? How did I get in so far? But isn't that what happened with Judah? Often our sins, it's one thing that leads to another. Usually the one that's struggling with whatever that sin is, it's not they just landed there. Usually it's I started spending time with a wrong friend in high school, and I got out of high school, and I, I picked up a job, and I met somebody over there, and then they just invited me out there, and I tried something I probably shouldn't have tried, and then I started doing this, and I jumped on that website, and I ended up here, and then I ended Ended up there, and before you know it, what is it? Nobody set out to get to that place in their life, but with sin, it deceives us. It's it, the Bible talks about that wine is a mocker, and those things, these, the well, I can just enjoy this little thing. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. What does that mean? We think we can handle it, we think we can control our pet sins. We think, well, I can just have this in my life, I can compartmentalize it over here, and nobody will know, and it won't be a part of my life. But here's the problem. It never stays the size it was. It never stays where it was. One thing always leads to another. In Judah's life, what happened? Moving in with an unsaved friend led to marrying an unsaved wife, which led to drifting from his spiritual upbringing, which led to raising three boys that knew nothing of God, which led to God killing two of his sons because of their wicked actions, which led to him lying to his daughter-in-law, who's now a young widow, which led to her becoming angry and bitter against him, which led to her devising a trap to trick him and get him to sin, which led him to him giving into sinful temptation, doing something he never thought he would and he never should have done, which led to his sin becoming public in front of everyone. Instead of putting her to death because of her shame, he was the one acknowledging his shame, which led to him fathering two children with his daughter-in-law. It all started with moving in with the wrong friend. Isn't that crazy? Just one choice. It's where it starts in verse 1. Verse 1, you see it? It came to pass after these things. Uh, no, that's verse number, uh, that's chapter 40. It came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. At that time, they're just two young single guys living together. And before he knows it, his life story is something he never could have imagined. Why? Because our sins are progressive. 
that sin that you play with long enough, you allow in your life long enough, you let go unchecked and unrepentant. By the way, we all have sin and we're all working out. I'm talking about those habitual sins, those things that become a part of our lives and a part of our lifestyles, those things being around there. We have no idea where that one sin might lead. Well, I'm just, I just kind of have this one under control, but you don't know where that one might lead to and what relationship that one might bring into your life and what temptation that one relationship might bring into your life and how that could change the history of your life. The Bible says it's little foxes that spoil the vines. The Bible says it's a dead fly in the apothecary that makes the ointment to stink. Just one dead fly ruins a whole batch of that which could be used for God's work and for God's anointing. Despise not the small things. It has been said the pivots of history are microscopic. What does that mean? Often, History turns on small events. You know the same thing that oftentimes is true in our lives? We, we see the big events, but it's often a small decision. I'm going to go here or I'm not going to go there. I'm going to give God this part of my life or I'm not going to give that God that part of my life. I'm going to marry that person or I'm not going to marry that person. And that's not a small decision, but one decision has these huge effects in our lives. Our sins are progressive. The pivots of history are microscopic. We rarely see the end result of where that seemingly small decision will lead. James said it this way, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth what, church? When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth what? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It starts with lust. Lust turns into sin. Sin ends up having consequences we never would have imagined. We never could have predicted. So we need to do our best to stay close and to stay clean, deal with the small sins in our lives so we don't have to clean up the mess from the big sins they lead to. Can I say that again? Deal with, with God's help, the small sins in our lives so we don't have to clean up and deal with the big mess that they lead to. Number two, what do we see here from Judah's life? Number one, our sins are progressive. Number two, our sins have consequences. Don't we all think we're the exception? Well, I know so-and-so, that really destroyed their life, and I know so-and-so, man, that, that sin really messed them up. And I know that church, you know, that sin of, of gossip and backbiting split that church, and I know that, that, that guy, that sin of lust destroyed his marriage, but I can handle it. I will, it it'll be different for me. And I'm just here to remind all of us, our sins have consequences. I know this is a little heavy. It's going to get encouraging toward the end, but, but, but it's good to re be reminded because the consequences of sin can be heavy. The sin of marrying wrong has consequences. The sin of physical immorality in our lives has consequences. The sin of lying has consequences. The sin of raising our children without God has consequences. By the way, every sin I just listed, those were all sins that Judah did, and they had lifelong consequences for him. Our sins always have consequences. Our choices always lead to destinations in our lives. We think we'll be the exception, but what did Paul say to the churches at Galatia? Be not deceived. Why did he say deceived? Because we get deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also. By the way, I've used this verse before, and I've said, growing up, I almost always heard this verse preached in the way that I'm preaching it right now. Be careful of what sins you get involved in, because you're going to reap the consequences. May I say, I've often preached it the other way. It's just as true in the positive. 
When you do right and you plant good seeds and you make good choices in your life, here's what happens. Sometimes when you're younger, well, I tried that and I tried to do right and I tried to make good decisions and everybody else is getting further ahead in life. Everybody else is having more fun than me. Everybody else is enjoying things I'm not. Maybe I should have just done what everyone else did. And, and sometimes we can get fooled into thinking that God doesn't see our good choices and isn't going to repay us. And to that person, I want to say, be not deceived. God is not mocked. What's man soweth, that shall he also reap. You sow to the flesh, uh, uh, to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you'll reap righteousness and blessing. But it works on both sides. So keep doing right, even if it doesn't seem like it's paying off right now. God knows, and God sees, and as Javen likes to say, God keeps perfect records, and God, God knows where we're at, so don't think he's forgotten you. But for those of us that think we're getting away with sin, this verse is equally true. Be not not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What were the consequences of Judah? Heartache, regret, death, physical death. Both of his sons died. Relational death, death of his reputation. He had a lifetime reminder of his one sinful choice and lives, his, his daughter-in-law and grandsons and sons slash grandsons, whatever that is, that would be forever impacted because of his sin. And I preach a lot and we sing a lot and I believe completely that God is a God of mercy, of love, of forgiveness, of grace. And don't ever forget that because it's true. But he's also a God of justice and righteousness and holiness. God forgives sins, it's been said, but he doesn't relieve consequences. You can choose your sin, you can't choose your consequence. So just a reminder for all of us, be careful, sin is deceptive. Our sins are progressive. We see it in Judah's life. Our sins have consequences. Number three, a reminder, we are prone to excuse our sins while condemning others. Isn't that what happened in verse 24? Burner, killer, that, that wicked woman, that immoral piece of trash, isn't that how we are? Wasn't that what David did? The sin of Bathsheba? When he killed Uriah? Remember Nathan came and said, hey David, there's someone in your kingdom They only had one sheep. And someone else in your kingdom had all kinds of sheep. And the one with huge flocks stole the one, stole the one from the one that only had one sheep. What should we do? We should kill him. Oh, we, we see it in other people's lives, don't we? We struggle to see it in our own lives, though, don't we? We can see the sin in other people's lives, but we struggle to see the sin in our own lives. And what did Nathan say? Nathan said, thou art the man. You're the one that stole the one sheep. You stole Bathsheba from Uriah. And then you stole Uriah from Bathsheba. You're the one that did it. And he wept. We're prone to excuse our sins while condemning others. You know what we like? Grace for me, law for you. Judge me by my intentions, let's judge you by your actions. Well, I didn't mean to. I meant to do it. I know I did the wrong thing, but I didn't mean to. Judge me by my intentions, but judge you by your actions. Grace for me, law for you. Oh, may I just stop and say, the Bible talks about it this way, be careful of the little splintering your, eye, the splintering your neighbor's eye when you've got a telephone beam coming out of your own. Be careful. 
And you know what sins we're usually the hardest on? The ones we're not struggling with. Get them. Deal with it. We see that in Judah's life. Paul said it this way when somebody's struggling with sin. He said, if you're spiritual, help try to help them get victory. And here's what he said. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Considering yourself, you, but for the grace of God, you could end up there. Understand, you're no better than that one that's struggling with that sin. You have different sins. We're all weak at times. Place no confidence in the flesh. As the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. May I say tread lightly when you hear of others struggling with sin in their lives? Remember, I'm not saying covering sin, but tread lightly in your condemnation and in your casting aside, remembering you've got some stuff you're glad God's shown you some mercy about. You've got some stuff in your life you're glad that God's a God of grace and forgiveness. You know who forgives well? People that realize how much they've been forgiven. We are prone to excuse our sins while condemning others. Number four, a reminder here, our sins will find us out. Again, that's not a threat, but the Bible speaks of that. The book of Numbers, it says, be sure your sin will find you out. That's not a threat to scare us. It's a biblical principle to warn us. Because everyone thinks, I've got it hidden. I can get through this. I can, it's not affecting me. My wife doesn't know about it. My parents don't know about it. My youth pastor doesn't know about it. My friend doesn't know about it. My children doesn't, don't know about it. My boss doesn't know about it. They don't know about it. Judah had no idea that what he had done that one night would ever come back to haunt him. By the way, we're talking about a time when there were no cameras up at every door you walked into. There were no security cameras. There was no DNA evidence. There were no fingerprint records. There were no databases. There was no way for his hidden sin that only two people on earth knew about for it ever to come out. But in verse 25, she said, you recognize this stuff? These bracelets look familiar? Whoever signet this is, that's the one that I'm expecting a child with. And what happened? He had to acknowledge that that which he thought would never come out, came out. He never could have predicted how it, all, it would all play out. For months, it went un unnoticed. For months, he had no idea. There was no way anybody would find out. But a reminder to all of us, again, not a threat to scare us, a biblical principle to warn us. God knows. And God sees. And the hidden things can be brought to light. And yes, God's a God of mercy, but God doesn't deal kindly with his children living in open, unrepentant sin, just kind of shaking their fist. I can, I can live this way when no one's watching, and I can stand up and preach on Sunday. Oh, how many pastors thought they were getting away with it, and their lives ended in destruction, living two different lives, one in the pulpit and one in their own personal time. Be sure our sins will find us out. Number five, the last two, I hope, will encourage you some. Number five, I want to remind you that our sins do not preclude God from using us. Some of us have deep regrets in our past. By the way, maybe some in this room or somebody watching or listening online or listening later, you have deep regrets about things you're currently involved in. There's sin in your life that you can't get victory over at this point, and you wish you could. And whether it's in your past or in your present, you tell God why he can't use you in your future. But you don't know what I've done there. 
and you don't know what I'm doing right now. And by the way, I'm not saying that you can just keep, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. I'm not saying, well, okay, pastor said I can just keep living the way I'm living. I know it's displeasing to God, and God will use me for his glory. It's not what I'm saying, but I am saying he has plenteous, he's plenteous in mercy, and, and there, greater is the, the grace in him than the sin that is in us. Greater is, his grace is greater than all our sin, as the songwriter said, and where, where sin, the Bible said, did abound. That means it was prevalent. It was all over. Where sin did abound, what does the Bible say? Grace did what? Much more abound. That's what I'm saying. And Judah, chapter 38, you want to go, by the way, I've I've given the family-friendly version tonight. If you want to go read some crazy stuff, read the chapter. And this guy, this guy, you know, what do we need when we're in sin? Who do we need? We need a Savior, right? What's one of the names of Jesus? The lion of the tribe of what? The lion of the tribe of what? That's the same Judah. The Judah of Genesis 38, God is going to use to bring forth his son, the one that needs a savior, the savior is going to come. He came unto his own. He came to his own. He came to those that needed him. He didn't come to a perfect family that didn't have its problems. He came from the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah came through this one that fathered twins with his daughter-in-law. God, your past sins don't preclude God from using you. Stop letting Satan tell you, God can't use you in the future because of something you've done in the past. If you're struggling with it in the present, let's deal with it. Let's get honest. Let's get it on the table. Let's work toward victory. And then let's say, God, I can't make up for what I did for a year or five or 10 or 20, but God, however many I have on this side of my life, you have the rest of them. And your past does not preclude you from God using you. Hey, if God can use Abraham who lied, why can't he use you? If God can use Noah who got drunk, why can't he use you? If God can use Moses who murdered a man, why can't he use you? If he can use David who who was an adulterer and, and a murderer, why can't he use you? If he can use Thomas who doubted and Jonah who rebelled and Adam who disobeyed and Judah who hired his daughter-in-law for wickedness, why can't he use you? Again, what's the answer for all of our sins? Not our own righteousness, but the lion of the tribe of Judah. Do you know who came from this wicked, sinful man's bloodline, the one who died on the cross for you and for me. God, if God can use Judah as part of his redemption plan for the world, he can use you as part of his redemption plan for the world. Which leads to my last point. Number six, our sins will be paid for. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Bible says be not deceived. God is not mocked. What's for man soweth, that shall he also. There is payment for our sins. It must be paid for. And here's the choice. It can be paid for by you, or it can be paid for by Christ. We can try to fight it on our own and try to get victory on our own, or we can say, I'm powerless. I need your help, God. It, it, can, be, it can be conquered by Christ. It will be paid for one way or the other. So back to the title of the message, where will your sins lead you? Number one, I want to just say, you can't predict that, so be careful with what sins you allow to grow in your life unchecked. You say, well, I've been fighting, and I can't keep fighting. Once again, I faced Satan this morning, and I battled him all the day long. 
In my weakness, God sent reinforcements, and at sundown, I sang victory song. The sun's coming up in the morning. Hey, what did Paul say? I die daily. Paul said, every day I mortify the members of my flesh. What did Paul teach us? He was battling with sin every single day. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not losing if you're battling sin every day. You're losing when you stop battling sin every day, and when you start enjoying it and just start giving into it. But where will your sins lead you? It's going to lead you to one of two places. Like Judah, it's going to lead you to a place of consequence, of regret, and pain. We talked about all of that. The death of his reputation, the death of his boys. Or, if you allow it, your sin can lead you to a place of repentance, restoration, and relationship. So you answer the question, where will your sins lead you? To a place of consequence, regret, and pain, or a place of humbling, of repentance, of restoration and a relationship with Christ. It's gonna lead you to one of those two. And sometimes it has to take us to the first one before we finally say, okay, I'm ready to get to the second one. But my encouragement to you today is God can still use you, but you're gonna have to let your sins lead you to the foot of the cross, not further down those sinful paths you've been walking. The deciding factor is whether you choose to hide them or acknowledge them, whether you choose to handle them on your own or you bring them out into the light and let God help you and let godly people help you. Because once you do that, once you get, you, you bring them in God, in, to God in repentance for restoration, for relationship, what did Paul say in Romans chapter number eight? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. By the way, it didn't say there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It didn't stop there. It said for those that have dealt with their sins, they're working on it, they've gotten them forgiven, they're seeking victory, and they're seeking to walk after the Spirit. When you're there, you don't need to spend any energy looking back at what you used to be. But even if you've been saved, and even if you've been forgiven, if you're still walking after the flesh, guess what you know? There is condemnation. There is conviction. There is that turmoil in your heart. I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know this isn't where I should be. I know I shouldn't be with that relationship. I know I shouldn't be with that friend. I know I shouldn't be with that substance. I, I know I should be making God more of a priority. I know I should, and guess what? There is conviction when you're living after the flesh, isn't there, as a believer? If there's not, the Bible says, be careful. If he doesn't ever chasten you when you're not living right, the Bible uses a really strong word, says you're bastards, you're not sons. You're illegitimate children. But when you allow your sin to lead you to a place of repentance, saying, I'm done, I need help. God, I'm sorry, give me victory. I'm gonna seek day by day like Paul to die daily, to mortify the members of my flesh. Guess what the Bible says? You don't have to spend any more energy, wasted time on condemnation, condemning yourself. Because Jesus says, he says, I, I forgive you like he did to the woman at the well. What did he say? Go and sin no more. You're done, no more punishment. No more condemnation. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. Go walk after the Spirit. So where will your, will, will your sins lead you? To pain? To regret? To scars and heartache? Or to humble worship and acknowledgement of your need of a Savior? By the way, we often think of our need of a Savior for salvation. You don't just need a, a Savior for salvation. You need a Savior every day to walk with you because your flesh is weak. 
You need the Spirit of God every, you don't just need the gospel, the, the power of the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection. We get it mixed up. We think, well, I need the gospel to get saved, and then I'm going to live the rest of my life in my own strength. I need the power of God to take me to heaven, and the rest of it, I've got to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I've got to be more righteous. I've got to be, I've got to try to gloss over my, I've got to get my own victory. No, you need the gospel for salvation, and you also need the gospel for sanctification. You need the power of Christ to get saved. You need the power of Christ to live as a Christian each and every day. You can't do it in your own strength, and neither can I. So we don't need it just for, for, for salvation, but for daily deliverance from our frail, fleshly sin nature. Again, Paul said, I die daily. Why? Because he realized the power of sin. The things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I don't want to do, I, I, the things I want to do, I don't do. He realized the power of sin, and he longed to be delivered from that. Who shall deliver me? Oh, wretched man that I am, so I pursue Christ that in all things he might have the preeminence. I, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I need him every day. And I don't know, maybe God sent this message kind of a little, hey, I want to tell you about Joseph. Oh, wait a second, I need to tell you a quick story about Judah. Not the happiest dinnertime story but maybe it was God sending to warn you, you're not getting away with that. It is having an impact on your life, and it will have an impact on your future. Don't wait until it's so far gone you've done things you never imagined you would do. Do you think when Judah decided to move in with his friend, Hira, do you think he, when he decided to move in with his friend, he was like, I think probably in 20 or 30 years, I'll have a dead wife, two dead sons, and if I'm lucky, I'll have, I'll have fathered two twin boys with my daughter-in-law. Do you think he had any idea? Of course not. Of course not. But sin is deceptive. It's been said, it takes you farther than you want to go. It leaves you longer than you want to stay. It costs you more than you want to pay. In our lives, maybe this was a warning. That thing, hey, get it out in the open. Go to somebody, repent, get it out before God and maybe a godly mentor. Let's work through it before, because what happens is Satan wants to get a toehold in your life. He wants to get a little piece, then it becomes a foothold. And before you know it, it's a stronghold. And in our lives, reminder, sin is progressive. It always has consequences. We're good at justifying our own and condemning everybody else's. But a reminder, no matter what you've done or even what you're doing right now, it doesn't keep God from loving you, from forgiving you, and from using you if you'll let him. But where's it gonna lead you? Further down your own path, or are you gonna let it lead you and say, I'm weak, I need Christ? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.